Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Would you mind introducing yourself with your name, pronouns, and the title you'd like to be referred to by? I'm Anna Trugman. I'm a professor in the geography department at UC Santa Barbara. My pronouns are she, her, and it's fine to call me Anna. Perfect. Thank you so much for that introduction. Your research study was recently published in Nature Geoscience just a few weeks ago and focuses on risks related to U.S. forests' ability to store carbon. To help our listeners better understand, would you mind explaining how carbon emissions contribute to climate change and also the role forests play in terms of atmospheric carbon concentration and climate change mitigation efforts? Yeah. As human emissions due to land use change and burning of fossil fuels has increased over um, uh, the last few centuries due to the Industrial Revolution, we've seen a really strong increase in atmospheric CO2, which warms the globe and has outsized impacts on other aspects of the climate. But what's actually really interesting and important to know is that the carbon that we're emitting on this earth due to fossil fuel burning and land use change can actually go into three main pools in the earth system. It can go into the ocean, and this is increasing as we increase our emissions, but it doesn't vary a lot on short timescales. It can go into the atmosphere, and this is what I think a lot of people think of um, when they think about anthropogenic climate change is rapidly rising atmospheric CO2. But Actually, the amount going into the atmosphere year to year is highly variable. And the reason it's so variable um, uh, is actually due to terrestrial ecosystems, plants and forests. And so terrestrial ecosystems sequester about 30% of anthropogenic emissions annually. The bulk of this is actually in forested systems. So they're providing us this huge service in terms of mitigating climate change and understanding this piece of how they're going to respond in the future is really critical because how much carbon they pull out of the atmosphere year to year is highly dependent on the climate that particular year, how we're seeing like changes in drought events across um, different ecosystems and also um, processes like disturbance. So if you're here in California, I think many people are familiar with a lot of the fire emissions that we're seeing during the summer over the past few years. And so all of these different components are really important for understanding how atmospheric CO2 is going to change at any emissions level in the future. That's great. Thank you so much. You mentioned what climate factors can be affecting forests and their ability to store carbon. I was wondering if you could elaborate on this one term I've been hearing about and seeing in studies, climate stress. Could you just explain what that means? Yeah. So um, some climate factors, uh, I'll start there and then um, translate how these different climate factors um, influence tree stress, which is the climate stress component. Um, so some factors that we can use to understand species distribution include things like temperature, precipitation, climatic water deficit, which is kind of the amount of water the atmosphere wants to pull out of the land surface minus the precipitation, and, and it's a good metric of aridity of a particular location. And so these are all meteorological variables. Climate stress is a lot more plant-centric. If we have changes in water availability, how might that impact Packed the vegetation stress. And it might actually not correspond one-to-one -one with the climate stress because, or the meteorological stress, because in a number of cases, vegetation in local areas has uh, the ability to cope with more arid climates, for example, here in Santa Barbara, compared to moister climates on the East Coast. 
And so this climate stress term is specifically referring to is the local vegetation that's able to cope with perhaps the mean climate in a location? Is it is it particularly stressed due to the changes in water availability, either due to drought conditions or also um, drought conditions can increase risk for pest and pathogen infestations, which can also increase mortality and um, it can affect live fuel moisture, which can increase fire risk, for example. That is a great explanation. Thank you so much. The study also includes some data on different types of forests. Why is it that some forest groups are projected to lose more carbon storage ability than others? Yeah. So um, in this study, we actually looked at different types of forests and different types of models that have um, different strengths or weaknesses for understanding different aspects of terrestrial ecosystems. So, uh, you know, I think uh, as an observer of the globe around you, you might have looked around Santa Barbara and noticed that the um, species composition is really different here in Santa Barbara than if you go to, um, for example, the Northeast in the United States, where we have these um, uh, much higher carbon forests that um, shade the understory are comprised predominantly of deciduous broadleaf trees. And the reason that there are these pretty strong differences is that um, it's much more arid in Santa Barbara. We have this Mediterranean climate compared to the much more mesic and moist climate of the east coast of the U.S. And so some of these models take into account the different associations between um, species types and climate. And, um, and, and, you know, there's very different biomass um, that are associated with these different species types. And so we can look at how projected changes in climate might change species composition based on those climate relationships. And, and that's how, in some cases, we determined there might be um, a loss in biomass due to species change. One of the other types of models that we used looks at how disturbance is sensitive to climate. And so California has seen this rapid increase in fire-driven losses to different forests. And there's a really strong climate change signal in that increased um, wildfire extent across California. And so one of the models that we use incorporates how um, disturbance changes with climate change. And so some of these are disturbance-driven losses. Thank you for that insight. That's really interesting. You also mentioned using different models. And I just wanted to ask, with your experience using different technological assessments, could you comment on how you think modern technology can help us understand future climate risks and find solutions for the present? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, there are a lot of different methods for trying to understand how forest composition might change under different um, climate conditions. They all have different strengths and weaknesses in terms of like which part of the models are represented um, in the most mechanistic way that represents are are like um, most up to date knowledge on how terrestrial ecosystems might respond to climate change, and there's a lot of uncertainty associated with each of the methods um, due to like different processes that may or may not be included in each of the models, and um, 
and some processes that we haven't been fully able to compare against observations to make sure that they're responding in the way that that we think they are based on um, for example, the equations that we've incorporated in these different models. And so I think one of the strengths of this study and and kind of where we're at in terms of the technology on how to use forests to mitigate climate change is that it um, cross compares all these different methods to do a pretty rigorous job of quantifying the uncertainty and, and gives like a best estimate of based on these different assumptions, um, what might be the driving processes for either increases in forest carbon or losses in forest carbon um, under several different future climate scenarios. And, and so um, within that, there are also these tools of like, how do we predict future climate scenarios? And the way that we do that is through um, these coupled model intercomparisons that have models of the earth system, including um, an atmospheric component, a land surface component, and an ocean component that look at how um, different emissions influence both global temperatures and, um, and also influence other critical aspects of the earth system that, that really make up the climate and the earth that we're living in. Thank you so much for that explanation. And I was hoping to ask one last question. What should our next steps be now that we have this data? How should scientists or politicians change their current approach to assessing carbon storage or using forests as carbon offsets? That's a really great question. And so this actually ties into the fact that we have um, nature-based climate solutions in some cases that are designed to help offset some of our emissions by capitalizing on this idea that trees photosynthesize and pull carbon out of the atmosphere and mitigate our climate um, footprint based on the level of emissions that are going on. And it's actually pretty uncertain whether we might see losses in vegetation due to increases in disturbance in some locations and um, how climate might impact species distributions, all of which can in influence um, the carbon storage in a particular parcel that might be used or, or project that might be used as a carbon offset. And so looking at the uncertainties associated with um, disturbance-driven mortality and how this might impact the buffer pool allocation that you might want to prescribe for associated with different projects to mitigate against the idea that you might see losses in this project rather than carbon gains, um, I think is a really important thing to factor in moving forward. And, and you know, we in, in our study show areas where there's like disagreement across methods um, for carbon driven losses, we show areas where there's um, a high likelihood for carbon driven losses based on disturbance. And so really using areas where there might be more consensus based on our study for increases in carbon storage and, and avoiding areas that we expect to see large increases in um, disturbance-driven losses might be a useful first step for um, prescribing these different buffer pools for offset projects in the future. Thank you so much for that insight. And thank you for taking the time to speak with me today, Professor. And thank you to all who tuned in. With KCSB News, I'm LV Faust.